Hey, welcome to another episode of Fred Talks, a catalyst for crucial conversations for the culture. I'm your host, Fred B. And today we continue our conversation on punchlines, prayers and insecurity and a whole bunch of other need to discuss topics with mompreneur Shawnee Brennan. Listen, we're going to jump right into the conversation that's already underway in this second installment of a multi-part episode right after these ground rules. This probably doesn't need to be said, but of course, we're going to say it anyway. The views and opinions expressed on Fred Talks podcast are not to be misconstrued as professional advice, counsel, gospel, a personal attack, law, guarantees, a substitution for hardware, a one-size-fits-all formula for every scenario, or any type of promise. It's a podcast, y'all. Come on. You know you need to consult a credentialed professional before making a hasty or significant change with your life. Don't you? Don't you? Of course you do. Now, be encouraged by the show. Be entertained by the show. Be challenged to cross-examine some of your long-held beliefs. Note, the host and his guests have strong views held loosely. Being committed to lifelong learning means that the perspectives may change in light of information. That's not contradiction. That's evolution. So please, don't come for us. Unless we send for you. Now that we have an understanding, let's get back to today's episode of Fred Talks. One of the pets that our church is a very skilled therapist, and I always send a lot of people to her. Um, uh-huh. Recommend, you know, when when people will be coming to me about the book, wanting to talk about things. When we hit a roadblock where I knew my experiences could no longer serve them, I'm not going to try to act like a therapist. I'm going to send you right. to somebody who's skilled enough to really help you continue your process of healing. And so one girl, though, actually told me, and this is the thing, this is the problem that you run into where people will get a book, it'll start the process of healing, it'll help them. But then after the $15 that they paid, mm. the value of it has run out and you suggested them to go pay 40 to $60 an hour to see a therapist, they'll say it's too expensive. Now, this girl, she, you know, she told me she was suffering from depression, had suicidal thoughts. You know, I'm like, you have to go see a therapist. Have you been to a therapist before? She said, yeah, I was going, but you know, it got too expensive. Too expensive? Too expensive? Like, you still getting your hair done. You know, you're not missing any meals. You go, you go out to eat, do all of this stuff, but you don't want to pay a therapist. So I think the issue becomes what people put value on. And I really try to direct them to your healing should be valuable to you because nothing else you achieve outside of being healed is really going to work. Did you ever, did you feel initially like, how am I ever going to move from this place? Like there's so much work to be done. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And honestly, when you work hard to be put together, like, remember, I said I'm analytical and everything has to be in this place and mm-hmm. this thought goes here and this duty goes there. You know, like you said, your wife is task oriented. So am I. Jesus. Everything has a place. This goes here. Nothing should be left. You know, that. <laughs> I'm sure. So when you when you are <laughs> oh yeah, everything has a place. You need to get it all in its place. When you discover in a moment that you're jacked up and you didn't know you were jacked up, like yeah. multiple things, you yeah. panic. Like 
how, yeah. how do I fix all of this? Because this is yeah. a mess. And mm-hmm. it for me, it was a moment of like an epiphany where like, like all of this has been wrong all this time. And God, number one, never penalized me. He never made me feel like anything was wrong with me. He reserved this revelation for a time where he was ready to help me change. So it taught me a lot about like the nature of God and his plan for our lives, his patience with it, um, how he doesn't really need us to really have everything together to do what he wants to do in our lives. Like it's a patient walk and it may take forever to get done but he's okay with that like it really was um freeing for me mm-hmm. having grown up so legalistic with so mm-hmm. many rules like taking years to detox this stuff to see yeah. like all this time i've never really had it together but god was tripping about it yeah you know yeah. so it freed me to like work with god in the process of Sean, this isn't your job to get yourself together. This is my job. Just let me help you do it. So you're going through this. You're seeing yourself, uh, metaphorically speaking, you're seeing yourself for the first time. Are you married at this time? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Mm -hmm. if you're willing to talk about it, I don't want to put you in a bad spot, but what is that like? You're going through this. You're seeing yourself. You're having these. Uh, this array of emotions and Gail is probably not going through this at the same time or maybe he's already gone through this work like mm-hmm. what does that feel like I mean can you can you describe that well I will you know being transparent part of the reason that the overseer suggested that I go to counseling was because he suggested it to Gail as well and mm. at that time we were it's Experiencing like difficulty in our marriage. Um, I think. Oh, he was. I I was getting on his nerve. He was getting (laughs) on my nerve. (laughs) Like, man, you know. Mm -hmm. I think um, the reality of you have two upbringings now colliding. Like, yeah. The way he was raised or not raised, and the way I was raised or not raised was colliding. And. Initially, I call myself going up there like to figure out how to deal with him. <laughs> like, right, he gonna right, tell me because he's crazy mm-hmm. and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. And so, <laughs> I mm-hmm. think when I sat down and realized, like, like, oh my god, like, yeah. like I got some problems that I didn't yeah. realize <laughs> that I had, and I, I guess I just really. Um, not necessarily that I felt like they were affecting my marriage, but sometimes your discomfort or unhappiness with another person could be solved when you find that comfort and happiness with yourself. So it may not be a problem anymore once you fix your problem. And so, you know, and I just was like, oh my God, like, Mm. this ain't all deal. This this ain't yeah. all him. Yeah. You saying it like <laughs> wait a minute. You saying it like you really had an I was shocked. I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Ooh, I was shocked. I was like, hold on. <laughs> right, right. So is 
giving you the side eye as you're awakening to this, or is he being, <laughs> is he being, you know, uh, is he loving his wife as Christ loved the church and washing you with the water of the word? And he's, is, is he being he was, <laughs> or is he gloating? He was happy to have company. Like, oh, oh, yeah, are you crazy too? We both. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> but you know, I say this uh, pretty often, and it, it's not my original saying. You probably heard this though. Like water finds its own level. You know, like so, it would really be arrogant for me to be in a relationship. Like, dang, this is dysfunctional. She bringing all this dysfunction. Well, if if I must have been dysfunctional when I selected you or agreed to this, because like healthy yeah. people don't attract unhealthy people, or they don't. They don't you know, like make covenant with un- with unhealthy people. Like so, that's a reflection of you know to some degree where I'm at. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Let's try to move on. So, um, in your book, you talk about the distinction between characteristic insecurity and uh, circumstantial insecurity. Can you just kind of unpack that a little bit? How do, how they differ? Yeah, characteristic. Well, circumstantial insecurity. <laughs> can be found in the moment um, where, say, for example, you know, if your boss calls you to the office and say, you know, I want you to do this task and I need it within an hour, and it's something you've never done before, and the pressure is on and you have to perform lest you be in trouble or whatever else, in that moment, you're going to take inventory of whatever you feel like your abilities are, your capability to perform whatever task asking you to perform, and you may not feel secure within yourself to complete it. So the circumstances are causing you to feel insecure, but it can change once it's complete, once it's done, you know, you're back to level ground. Whereas characteristic insecurity becomes a part of your character. Um, It becomes a part of your personality. It's something you live in, you operate in, you make decisions out of. Like, it's literally the same way that you're characterized by, um, you know, your sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, it's a part of who you are. Yeah. So, in that scenario, though, okay, let's say my, 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 my boss, my manager calls me in and says, this is the assignment, it's new. So it, it makes sense that I would, uh, I would have some luck or some insecurity about it. But um, help me connect these dots from, from your book. If I am a, by default, if I'm a secure person, though, um, can I overcome, even, even before the project or the assignment is over, is, is it um, is it a place where I can say, you know what, I can figure this out, like because I'm just confident in myself. Like, yeah, I've never done it before, but you know, uh, to throw out a scripture, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then I, I pump myself up, psych myself out, and I just go ahead and do it anyway. Or do you think that's contrived and that's not really real? No, I think that, say for example. You know, if security is a part of your character, it's easier to overcome a moment like that where Mm -hmm. you can, like I said, I've worked, I've I've found a way to bring myself to a place of peace and calm Mm -hmm. within minutes. It's part of um, how I've mastered my thinking. So if I feel insecure in a moment, the first thing that I start to do out of my security is go to my thoughts. 
that that caused me to be secure to say, okay, you know, your boss is asking me to do something that I don't know yeah. how to do. How are you going to solve this? Like I immediately start problem solving out of my security within myself to be able to do it. So yeah. I think um, for a secure person, the, the insecurity that's coming from the moment can only last so long because they're yeah. going to find a way to solve it. Whereas yeah. the person who walks in insecurity and it's a part of their character, that moment will destroy them. <laughs> like, yeah, you yeah, could, you yeah. throw up, you panic in, you sweat bullets, anxiety, you know, you mm-hmm. already uh, packed the box because you think you're going to lose your job. Like, it's just a whole different response depending on yeah. how your character has been built. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, you also explained the correlation between a person's belief and uh, their level of insecurity. And, uh, you know, what I think is, is dope about you in general is that though you are a pastor, you don't just speak to or try to relate to, you know, people that are in the church. As you said, when we opened up, you know, um, you, you engage with, or you listen to atheists uh, or some science, some scientists who are who just happen to be atheists while you're working out. Um, and in the book, you even said atheists have their security rooted in a belief system. So it may not be a Christian or faith-based type of belief system. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like how that, how their belief is tied to their security or insecurity if they're atheists? Absolutely. Like for example, you know, I um, have worked people who of different religions and some of them are atheists, some of them are agnostic. I have a sister, grew up in the same house as I did, same way as I did. She's agnostic. Um, but I've watched her, for example, succeed. Um, my sister came to me and she was suffering from depression. She was very unhappy. Um, we had a long talk on the phone, and because I knew where she is religiously because of some of the abuse she's experienced from the church, mm-hmm. I dealt with her more out of um, love, like sister-to-sister yeah. sister love. And so, yeah. you know, I built her up. Like, if you don't like the way your life is going, these are some of the things you can do. I said, I know you don't really, I know you're in a strange place with God right now. I said, but mm-hmm. just do me a favor and just ask God for his help. Just ask God to help you and direct you. Mm-hmm. And so we did mm-hmm. that together on the phone. Here it is. Um, three years later, my sister ended up getting all of the weight off. She had gained a lot of weight that was affecting her health, made her unhappy. She got the weight off. She just graduated as one of, I think, like her class, it may have been like 15 different students, and she was the only black woman. The rest were like like two two white ladies, and the rest were all men. She graduated graduated as an electrician, which is hey. rare for a black woman <laughs> to be an electrician. Mm-hmm. Like she is making bank now, like making mm. bank bank. She's sending those ties though. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Let me stop. But no, it, it, real talk though, does she attribute that to, okay, I remember my sister prayed with me or prayed for me or I prayed prayer, she said, or does she does that just go like the one notch to herself? Like, yeah, I should be confident in myself. I would say it's both. I think that um, 
you know, she she never came back and said, thank you for praying with me and this, that, and the other. But the way that my sister comes to me for advice and help lets me okay. know that she believes in whatever mm-hmm. I'm telling her. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but to, to go back to the question, her belief system is not stable in God. Like, it's not like this, God did it, God won't do it, belief system. She had a belief in her ability to accomplish that she can overcome. What I did was build her up. I didn't just say, you know, let's pray to God and he's going to work it out. What I said was pray to God for him to help you. And so she felt empowered within herself, which let me say, I feel like this is a big problem with church because I work with and have worked with uh, Hindus, Buddhists, like I said, atheists, agnostics. These people, if you sit and look at their life, though they may not have this deep sense of spirituality um, like we do, where they're going to church and they're doing all these different things, but they're succeeding. Okay, the money is in their house. (laughs) They're succeeding. They're going on vacation. They're living life because they have not put the responsibility to succeed on God's just going to do it. Let's just go pray. They actually are operating in biblical principles without them knowing that we've been given dominion and authority in the earth and we can accomplish what we set out to do. So they're activating Christian principles without even knowing it, like they're using their authority to go and get the life that they want. But we're still praying and asking God to do something he's not going to do. He's going to help us and empower us. His presence will be there with us. But at the end of the day, we have to get up and go seize what we want. So talking about the belief system of like an atheist or somebody that may not necessarily believe in God, they a lot of times have a more solid belief in their self and what they can accomplish because they've taken out this God complex of, or this yeah. sense of laziness that yeah, it's all, all I have to do is pray. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Can I? I know this is not where we were going, but you, you hit on some a conversation I just had with my wife, and uh, I just think it's so dope. I think your sobriety is dope. Like you're a pastor, who um, you know you're not you're not putting the church down, but you have a sober assessment of strengths and opportunities, and you have a post on like maybe you know what people in the, in the congregation, maybe not your congregation. But in the congregation in general, are feeling, and that's just so dope. Like kudos, to y'all. Um, I was so one of the things I do is um, I go to this, this men's like life group, small group every now and then, and they want to do this five o'clock prayer call, Shawnee. I knew for the first time they said they're gonna do a five o'clock prayer call. I was like, nah, man, I'm cool. Cause, cause I wake up at my alarm go off at four thirty, four forty-five. Like I got, I go to the gym too, cause. You know, my kids gonna be eating waffles in the morning, so I gotta go get my head together. <laughs> to, you know, so I'm not spazzing everybody. Like, let me go and just do this, right? But they, so I'm not gonna sacrifice my my workout time. And then that's just not appealing to me. Like, we're gonna be on this prayer call, Jesus. And and I was like, friend, why are you feeling so disgusted by it? And I, I had to come to grips with the reason why is because I feel like most prayer meetings 
are problem centered and not solution oriented. Like yeah. the vibe is let's all like the assumption is everybody is everybody's showing up with a problem and we want to mm-hmm. outsource it to God. And I'm like, man, mm-hmm. I just don't feel victorious. Like, and I don't want to start my day on that frequency. Like, because mm-hmm. like I ain't even hit the ground yet, y'all. <laughs> it ain't that bad yet. Like, hold on, man. You know, and um, I don't want to come together and just lick our wounds. I don't want to just come together and be like, God, do this, God, do that. When I could actually just go and do it. Um, sure. sure. And so I got so much respect uh, recently, like within the last year or two, uh, for atheists and agnostics. Like, I get it. I understand how they can mm-hmm. reach the conclusions, especially some of the stuff we do. You know, mm-hmm. like, I think if your sister hadn't prayed, she probably mm-hmm. still would have mustered up the strength to go ahead and do it. And, and, and to be frank, you know, like, if we believe he has already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, I don't even know that we, that we really need to pray. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, but I anyway, I, that's to you and Gail's credit, though. Like, that's why y'all are so dope. Like, right now, I am not actively a member of a church right now. But mm-hmm. I know there's two or three that I would like to visit. And uh, I always got to put an asterisk by my critique of the institutional church because I can't lump everybody in because I know y'all y'all do it well. Like, y'all are so relational. Like, I could rock with y'all if I was out there. So, yeah. anyway. Shout out to your sister, though. Um, yeah. Hello, let me hold $5. No, no, no I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> we interrupt this episode to express our gratitude for your listenership. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a regular listener, we want to deepen our connection. There are a few ways to do that. First, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And of course, chances are that if you like the show, your friends will too. So be sure to post, share, and repost on all of your social media outlets. Also, don't be shy. Connect with Fred B on Twitter using the handle at Fred Talks, spelled Fred T-A-L-X. After you've completed those two steps, visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash fredtalks. Remember, talks is spelled T-A-L-X. And check out the multitude of ways for you to support. Lastly, if you enjoy the podcast version of Fred Talks, imagine how electric a live Fred Talks session would be. Sure, recordings are great, but... When it comes to value, there are some intangibles that require you to be in a live setting to get full impact. The goal is to begin online via the podcast and ultimately take the sessions offline to do the real work of providing solution-oriented motivational sessions to impact current and emerging leaders of all ages. To get more information about hosting a live Fred Talk session for your staff, students, members, send an inquiry to fredtalks.com to get the conversation started. That's all for now. Let's get you back to the show. In your book about, you know, being a control freak, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't think you said it that way, and how being a control freak is often indicative of underlying insecurity issues, like it's an attempt to regulate as many things as possible, when really they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're minuscule things that don't really matter. But salt can look like sugar from a distance. Mm-hmm. So how can someone know if they've crossed the line from just being orderly and organized, like Shawnee, to being a control freak and it's some insecurity they got to address? And whatever you 
say, I'm going to weaponize it. I'm going to use this against my wife. I'm like, look, I was talking to Johnny. So, so all these labels ain't got to be like this. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, I think it crosses the line. You you know when it's crossed the line, when it's mood affecting. <laughs> Mm. And when, you, when your whole disposition get foul, you know you're trying to cross the line. Um, and being a control freak, when there's penalty associated Uh-oh. with whatever you want done, not getting done, um, when it turns into manipulating tactics to get it done, like yeah. I, I think it, it, you know, for example like myself and your wife <laughs> who are task oriented people like Gail will always say now if you ask Gail he'll say I'm a control freak mm-hmm. but you expect a person like him to say that because he's more of the carefree you know as you go mm-hmm. it'll be fine like for example we're getting ready to go on our family vacation and I've been packing mm-hmm. for two <laughs> weeks because I have pack for me really? and the whole family. Listen, he, he will wait until the night before. Burns um, me up. Like, burns <laughs> me up. He don't care. Mm, yeah. he, mm. he don't care. This is the way he mm. operates. So to him, of course, I'm a control freak because I'm way more orderly and everything's yeah. really done. And But I, I know when it's kind of crossed over into me being controlling, when there is no sense of elasticity in being able to talk about Mm. what's going to get done. Like when my whole vibe is changing, my mood is changing, you know, I'm angry if I don't get my way or um, I create this tense atmosphere for everybody that doesn't want to necessarily comply. Like that's kind of how you know you've crossed over. Yeah. But, you know, some people, um, they say, um, I know at least two people like this, when, when things are out of order, uh, it affects, like, their body manifests uh, different symptoms. Like, you know, I, I can't relate. I don't know if it's because I'm a guy. I'm like, what? But they are legit. Like, it's a health issue. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, especially if they listen to this. But, oh, dang, I got to scratch that from the record. But look, it's... I, I'm laughing not because they got a health issue. I'm laughing because it is so hard for me to even imagine. Like, that's a thing? I mean, have you heard of that being a thing? Is that a thing with you? No, that sounds entirely weird. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, but people say, like, me with smacking, like, yo, it, like, uh, like, it, 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 it'll, it'll, it'll mess me up. Like, my whole mood will change. Like, I'm sad if I sit at the table long enough. Let but me see, say I'm controlling this. myself, and I leave. <laughs> exactly, but let me let me say this. In like, like you know, some of the different things that I've kind of researched on the way the brain works and the way our bodies mm-hmm. work, I do mm-hmm. believe you can have physical responses. Um, your body does respond to negative um, atmospheres or things that you perceive as negative. Okay. Our bodies do respond to it, so. If, if for someone that sense of control is at a level that is unhealthy and something is happening that 
they perceive they don't have control, it is highly likely that their bodies can respond because the way the brain works, it controls our nervous system, yeah, um, okay. our digestive system, everything. So is it crazy? Yes, it's crazy, you know, <laughs> but it does happen. Okay. All right. All right. That's fair. That's fair. As we're talking about personality type, things like that. Have you ever taken the Enneagram? I did, and I cannot remember. I cannot mm. remember what I was. I did take it. I did. I took it, and I swear by it. And I was going to ask you, because you said you can read people, I was going to ask you, um, <laughs> just off the little bit you know, like, what would you, how would you, uh, what what type would you assign? But since you don't know, that's cool. Well, that's fair. Um, but I believe, <laughs> I took it, I felt so vulnerable. I was like, I, I don't know if I was offended. I was like, man, they just reduced it to a personality type. Like, this read my entire bell, you know, but it, it's fire. Um, yeah, I, I do remember it being spot on when I took it. I do. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So one part of your book, you brought out an unfamiliar perspective to a very familiar story. Most people, whoever, if they've attended, ever attended a, like, um, vacation Bible study or Sunday school as a child, they probably have heard something about Saul, you know, who God reluctantly made king. Where you painted that story and the things you drew out, I was just like, whoa, she's doing some good preaching here. Um, you know, we already knew that, you know, it wasn't God's first choice. We already knew the people insisted. We already knew that God warned them, like, how it's going to be. Like, that stuff mm-hmm. that you kind of hear every time that part is preached. But what you brought out that I never even considered was how Paul was of a lower socioeconomic pedigree. He didn't have anything to uh, really boast about and how that kind of helped him to have such a low estimation of himself. So when it's time for him to be promoted, like that's not the type of person you want to be king. And I'm just like, dang, wow. Right? Like, and, and, and his low self-esteem was not cured by getting the position. Like a lot of times people are thinking like, once I get there, it's not like they don't think it's doing the work that's going to cure him. Like, no, once I just get all the accoutrements to success, once I get the girl, once I get the position or all these different things, and I was just like, whoa, God, that was, that was dope the way you unpacked that. And so, yeah. So draping him in power and royalty, all that, none of that compensated for his internal deficit. You talk about deficiencies in your book. Um, Mm -hmm. He even had the power. Yeah. And then you, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And I was, I was like, wow, that's, that's dope. And I thought he may have been the only archetype in the book like that. Then you brought us to David. I'm like, man, I never even saw David like that. I mean, I knew he was like the runt of the, of the, of the crew, but still you amplified that story so well. So what I'd like to ask you, so, is can you talk about how often you see this same type of scenario play out? Maybe, you know, you being a pastor and you having, traveled so much, even in the gospel space, you may have seen it, you know, people ascend to leadership and you've seen it play out that way, but you're also in the corporate space. Like, can you kind of share some parables, the real life parables you may have seen, if you feel comfortable, if you won't like oh, yeah. expose, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Like I see it all the time. Um, I'm sure you see it all the time. You'll run to people. Um, one of the things that like that I really value in a person when I find it is somebody who's achieved some level of success but is not ruled by their success. So, for example, somebody like my dad, who I 
Fitter to be successful in his story and his life and where he's come from, the things he's achieved with all the odds stacked against him, but at the same time, he's humble. You know, it's not like everything he's achieved has put him in a position where he looks down at people, where he thinks he's better. Like, you get how he got where he is, that his um, humility, but his sense of self-empowerment has served him. But then you run into some people who, I mean, they achieved half of that, and they'll tell you. Mm. I mean, they just, <laughs> they, they want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about yeah. all of it. Um, they want to put other people down, put themselves mm. into a certain position. And people like that, um, but from what I've seen, when they fall and when they mess up and when they lose whatever they have, they've lost their whole entire world. Um, there was a man um, who ran a, what is it called? Like a, um, I can't, like an environmental company in Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. Michigan. He had um, several contracts with the city of Ann Arbor, like million-dollar contracts, removing all of their garbage, their sewage. And this man was a millionaire, um, several homes, several cars, all of that stuff. Well, he ended up going through a divorce. And when he went through the divorce, the wife uh, got a lot of the money. But not just that, on the tail end of that, he ended up losing the contract. So he went from living in all of these homes to, you know, oh lost his wife, you know, wow. he lost family. He ended up living in like a small apartment in, you know, um, Ypsilanti, which is like on the outskirts of Ann Arbor. It's not the best area in comparison uh-huh. to how he was living. Yeah. And after like two years, he ended up killing himself yeah. because wow. this this was built on, his whole life was built on his value being found in what he achieved. Uh-huh. It, it was never in really the value of I have my family, I have my life. Like, like yeah. so I see it over and over again with um a lot of different people to where if they've come from, you know, a hard beginning or um, even a family, some, some people come from, you know, a wealthy family, but they've been taught that that's what makes their family valuable is that we have money, we have a team, we have whatever. I think, honestly, um, the way that we train our children and the character that they have is depending on how we teach them what is valuable, because that's really where it comes from. Saul ended up like that, not just because he grew up in that family, but he had to be hearing over and over again, listen, Mm. we're the least of all the tribes, you know, you you get like I think I mentioned it too in the book. I think I started to know about my family financial status around age ten. Up until that point, I thought everything was fine. That everybody made the same amount of money. That everybody all yeah. had the same thing. It wasn't until we came back from <laughs> Christmas break and everybody was talking about everything they had, and I was like, mm-hmm. uh, "What? No, mm-hmm. we didn't." You all your line of kicking. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yep. when you realize, like, oh, my parents mm-hmm. might be struggling. You know, you yeah. start to learn about this stuff 
as you hear certain things. And so I think that um, in, in I wish that my parents would have shaped a sense of value outside of what you have. I, I really wish that would have been um, something done for me. And I've had to be very cognizant and aware of that with my kids because I, I feel like we give them way too much. As Man, it is. I hear that. I hear that. I just way don't want to say, look, this year we go into a food. I, I say, I don't want to do it around the holidays because it's going to be cliche. But I said, these kids are going to do some community service. I said, they have no idea. They don't have a clue. If it's not about, if we're not going to teach them value around uh, the thing, for somebody listening, what would you say we should? Uh, Should is probably the wrong word. But what would you recommend people creating value, their value system around, especially Um, as it relates to their children? I think family is huge. Um, One thing that I appreciate now that I really didn't understand then, my dad never let us fight. Like, he let us argue, but, like, physically fight each other. He would always say, if I can stop fighting, you get in a spanking. You don't hit Uh your sister. You don't hit your brother. And I didn't Uh really understand it then because I would be mad. Of course, we would all be mad enough at each other to fight sometimes mm-hmm. but we mm-hmm. heard that voice like yeah. you don't hit your brother you don't hit your sister but now to this day all of us are close we all have a good relationship with each yeah. other because this sense of disunity was not tolerated you know when my dad got sick all of his kids pitched in to help take care of him and relieve the stress off my mom without you teaching this sense of closeness um, yeah. within your circle, that's how you get these selfish kids. You, yeah. you don't work yeah. all your life and giving them everything, then you get older and they, they putting you in shady pines and they living it up on the inheritance <laughs> you left for them. <laughs> because yeah. you taught them, you you haven't taught them this sense of value and family that we look out for each other, we're there for each other. And so to me, that don't cost nothing. That's free. For you to yeah. teach your children or, you know, for you to build with your spouse, uh-huh. this sense of family, this sense of unity that we're to be here for each other. We're to, it's okay to be inconvenient for one another. Uh-huh. Life is not just all about you. And so yeah. I, I think um, teaching your children not to uh-huh. just, not to be selfish. Um, yes, to look out for your family first, but also to look out for other people. My mother um, runs a nonprofit. She's run a nonprofit for years for um, young mothers and women and families that have been displaced. And when I was younger, she would actually make me. Now, I was the only one for some reason. My brother, she she didn't make him go because he was, he was being the nursing home gagging. You know, he had a weak stomach, so it ain't a good look <laughs> to be there serving people dry heaving. So she would be like, no, you're going to stay home. <laughs> you're not coming because you're embarrassing. So he got to stay home. <laughs> and my sister, <laughs> my sister, I think she was in all kinds of programs, or she may have been away at college, and my younger brother was too young. So a lot of times, 
it would be me and my mom. We would go to the nursing home. Um, we would go to juvenile home. And she would have me serve with her. Sometimes I would be like, resentful like I don't feel like going but it's funny that I'm the one child that's actually a pastor you know it just was kind of ingrained in me this sense of look out for other people and my mom didn't do it from like this Christian platform like we're going to preach and teach them Christ she just genuinely has always cared about people and um I think teaching that to your children, like you brought up taking them to a soup kitchen or a nursing uh-huh. home, you better believe Ace and KK are going because <laughs> I I want them to understand everybody is not growing up the way that you are. Um, yeah. You know, there's a cost to everything. You you have to teach children to appreciate what they have. Even if you feel like you're not giving them everything that you would want them to have, uh-huh. teach them to be grateful and appreciative. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, you said something else in passing, and this might be for another conversation, but uh, you talked about how Saul, um, he probably had a heightened awareness, or his, his low self-esteem developed because of the conversations he heard in his house. And you know what my mind went to was <clears throat> the balance between like like having black children and knowing kind of anticipating some of the experiences they're gonna have. So you start those conversations trying to get ahead of it. But mm-hmm. how some people can have the conversation in such a disempowering way for the children. And so before the children even get to like lift their head up they're made yeah. to hang their head low to to self-assess. Yes, I am the least of these because my mm-hmm. parents. Have, this is the conversation. You know what I mean? Like I, I think there's a there's a way to talk about some 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 social reality in a way that's not disempowering. I see a lot of people doing handling that wrong right now. <laughs> it's a tough conversation to have. I mean, it's an unfortunate conversation to have, and nobody really has a manual on it. You know, so the people working yeah. with the best they have. The book you talk about efficiencies, um, and you talk about how people with tormenting insecurities tend to rely on supplements. I thought that was a cool way to phrase it to feed their deficiencies, such as mm-hmm. allowing compliments from others to compensate for their low self-esteem. And then you go on to talk about yourself, how you said there was a season where everything started to everything was hidden, everything was booming, philosophing, um, and even as as it relates to business and you know your body, you know as you growing up now. And you said, finally, there was no acne. Your shape was, uh, I don't want to say your shape was causing men to pay attention to you, but men were paying attention to your shape. I'm, not, I'm trying to sure. phrase it in a way that I'm not blaming you, right? Sure. But you mentioned that it, that, that was actually a struggle. Um, so can you talk a little bit about some of the extremes around body image, which you alluded to earlier, and how com- complex that is? And the reason why I phrase it that way is because on one hand, you got men creating an entire industry on unrealistic standards of beauty for women to live up to. Like, men are the ones propping this up. Um, sure. And, but also, unfortunately, even in churches or religious communities, you still have men who want to police women's bodies by telling them, you know, they can't show their ankles, they can't show their elbows. You know, uh, Mother Teresa, she got to cover up her her neck because that's going to make so-and-so fall into lust and all this stuff. Like it's still policing their bodies and um, standards of modesty, standards of, uh, of beauty. 
and so forth. That's a lot to sort. So how do you make sense? How do you reconcile this? And and how do you relax in a space like that? How, how do you work through those type of messaging, I should say? I'll be honest and say that I'm still evolving in that um, mm-hmm. because of how I grew up. You know, I grew up in a holiness church to where we couldn't wear pants, earrings, couldn't cut your hair, you know, skirts had to be down to the ground. And even when you had on a skirt down to the ground, you had to have on stockings. Like it was over the top. <laughs> now, is that, is that denomination the or was that just that time? Like, that, that, was, that was the denomination I was in. And when the pastor passed away is when the rules were lifted. And at that time, I was just turning <laughs> That's 18. So well. That's so well. it, In my mind, yeah. I'm picturing everybody having a sigh of relief. Like, we're going to change everything now. <laughs> That's so wrong. That's so wrong, guys. It pretty it's much wrong. was how it was. <laughs> so, I okay. mean, because I, I grew up that way, um, and it was such a shame-based atmosphere when yeah. I came out of that. Like, honestly, I would say maybe in, like, the last three years, I've really started to view um, the idea of sensuality in a woman as different. Uh, God created mm-hmm. us this way for a reason. Even in the Bible, um, the story of Leah and uh, mm-hmm. Hannah. Mm-hmm. The Bible says that, I'm sorry, Rachel. I'm sorry, Rachel and Leah. The, yeah, the Bible, the yeah. Bible says the girl was fine <laughs> in right. her form and her face. That's what the Bible right. says. So mm-hmm. I I feel like um, God has created women the way that we're shaped, the way we're built, all of that for a reason. Now, now you know you don't have people mad at God right now, I right? get it. I know they're going to be boiling. <laughs> they're going to be yeah. boiling. They're going to be boiling. <laughs> but, I, I didn't get no yam. No, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I digress. I digress. I, I feel Real like... Nice. Um, I feel like... <laughs> Because of that, because of this sense of penalty, if you're built a certain way, if you're more shapely, if you have this, like, I was kind of penalized in the church to where yeah. once I started to develop, oh, put that away, cover yeah. that up. And it, it wasn't even like in a negative way where I was wearing things to accentuate and show all of this showing up at mm-hmm. church with all of this cleavage and it wasn't even that mm-hmm. it's this mm-hmm. sense of you don't want to cause somebody else to fall well they probably probably already fallen if this is an yeah. issue That's you know so if they're not seeing that. it here they're seeing it somewhere else yeah i think they had good intentions though would you say that would you would you they, they I think their intent was good because they felt like they were doing God a favor. Yeah. But it taught, um, it really taught more shame than anything. And um, I'm starting to see now that it's, it's a balance to it all. You know, I guess I feel like I spent the best years of my life where my metabolism was super high. I was in the best shape of my life with little to no effort with a choir robe on, wearing yeah. choir right. robes wherever I went. You know, right. because 
that's pretty much what the standard was. Cover up, cover yeah. up. You don't want, you know, and um, I feel like there's more of a balance to it now. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, good intentions, maybe wrong interpretation. And you know what? Yeah. If it weren't for me being able to hear the stories of women now, I probably would be harder on my daughter and, 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 and communicate in a disempowering way. Good intentions, want to, want to spare her all this other stuff. But um, I'm just, I'm just grateful for the for women sharing their stories. <clears throat> Listen, you already know I hate to interrupt the vibe once we get going, but I also want to make sure that we're pacing ourselves and we're not just overwhelming you with all of this information, all of this content at once. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause for right now, allow you to chew on that, and then make sure y'all come back for the continuation of the conversation. All right. As always, I appreciate you tuning in one more again with your guy while you're here. Just a reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Fred Talks is available on every podcast platform. And hey, rub me those stars, fam. If you appreciate the show, say so. Log on to Apple iTunes and drop me a line about what you enjoy about the podcast. Leave that five-star review so the podcast becomes easier to find for others who are looking for something just like this. You probably don't think it's much support because it doesn't cost you much, but it absolutely means a lot to me that you would take a moment to do that for me. So thank you in advance. Hey, y'all have a great week. Tune in next week for another dope episode.